Well, good morning, and if this is uh, your first Sunday joining us, we're wrapping up a series today that we've been going through called uh, Let Earth Receive Her King, and we've spent this Advent season uh, looking at the tension between Jesus' first Advent, His coming to earth to dwell among us, and also what we look forward to with the, the rapture of the church and His second coming that will come one day, and we, we send the tension of those two moments, and so throughout this series, we've looked at what his first coming and his second coming meant for, for the powers that be and the enemies of that kingdom he comes to establish, and we've looked at what it meant for believers in that time, and we looked at what it means for the future and this bright future we have in the Lord of a of a new victory and glory and body and eternal life that awaits all those in Christ Jesus. And this morning, as we wrap up our series, what we're going to be looking at is um, just one minute. If you could just wait for one minute. Today we're going to be looking at waiting. <laughs> and I don't think I have to convince you because I think you just experienced some of the tension and the difficulty that we have with waiting. You felt some of the awkwardness, and I appreciate that. Some of you felt it for me. Thank you. This was planned. Don't worry. But we wrestle with waiting, don't we? We don't do it well. We certainly aren't comfortable in doing it. But the reality is we sit in the tension in this moment where we're required to wait. He's come and he's coming again. And if we don't die to go to be with him, we'll be caught up in the clouds to see him. But we have to wait for it. And that's not unique to us. Since the beginning in Genesis, they were waiting for this Messiah, this Redeemer that they were promised would come. And then even when Jesus came on the scene, his disciples are thinking, finally, you're going to establish your kingdom, but they continued to have to wait. And now he's ascended to heaven, and you and I are waiting for his return or our rapture first to really see him face to face and experience all that salvation made possible for us in Jesus But while we wait, often what we're found doing is questioning God when we don't see evidence of anything changing. We try to take matters into our own hands so we can get the process moving because it seems that God is taking too long. Or maybe we resolve to give up waiting altogether or to distract ourselves with something else until it comes because we're tired of just waiting. But here's the thing, I believe God has a better way for us to wait. And it's important that we learn from Him on what this looks like. Because throughout Scripture, it's abundantly clear 
that God does some of his greatest work while we wait. In Scripture, we see all the way from Abraham, the father of faith, waiting 25 years for his promised son, to Jacob waiting 14 years to marry the woman he really loved, to Joseph waiting 13 years after being betrayed by his brothers and then wrongfully accused and imprisoned for redemption. And then there was Jesus who waited 30 years before he began his public ministry time and time again. Some of the men we look to in Scripture and women that we respect the most had these incredible seasons of waiting for years, some of them decades, even without seeing any fruit or evidence that the answer would come. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at, if you want to take notes and put down a title, you could write this down, The Work of Waiting. The Work of of waiting. What we're going to see through our study this morning as we close out this series on Advent and also close out this year and look to a new year is that although waiting does require us to release control of a situation to the Lord, there is still plenty for us to be doing in the midst of that waiting. And not just the work we do while we wait matters, but how we wait matters. Today we're going to be looking at five ways that we're told to wait according to God's Word. And the first one is that we are told to wait watchfully. That we're to wait watchfully for the Lord. But what does that mean? A simple definition of being watchful is to to give careful attention to one's surrounding, to be alert, to be on guard like an army that is traveling in enemy lands, they are watchfully aware that at all times an enemy could be lurking around the corner. Our waiting, according to Scripture, is meant to be marked by a watchfulness, not distracted, not careless, but aware of the times we live in and the battle that is before us. Listen to how Psalms 130, verse 5 and 6 says it. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Now, there are some who think that those who watch in this text were military guards that were in a watchtower, watching for any enemy that might approach or any friend that might be coming, any movement really at all in the surrounding area. There are others who think this is actually speaking to the priests as they would watch for the dawn so they could begin their morning sacrifices to start the day. The distinction of who they were, though, matters very little. The emphasis is on the watching and waiting for the morning that they are certain is coming. And this is the kind of waiting we are to have as believers. 
that we are waiting but watching and expecting just as we would early in the morning before the sun rises. We watch for it to crest over the hill and, and to begin to see the signs of the sun coming in the same way as we wait for the Lord. We can see the signs that He is coming soon. And we are watching around us at the things we see unfolding that Scripture speaks to must happen before His return. We're aware of the times we live in as people waiting. It's a hopeful waiting with expectation that God is working, that He will show up, and that at any moment we could be caught up in the clouds with Him. I wonder, though, does that awareness describe the way you wait on the Lord today? And the 30,000-foot level is obviously we're waiting to either be caught up with Him or to go to be with Him through death. But there are daily ways that we are tested in this as well. Promises in Scripture that the Lord has told us, and yet we're waiting on the answer of that in our lives. But are you watching for it? Are you expecting it? Are you holding fast to those promises, or are you allowing the longer you wait for your watchfulness to begin to be disrupted? You get carried away with something else. You get distracted, and you stop praying for it and looking for it because in your mind, it's taken too long. Well, another way that this watchful waiting is described in Scripture is that we are to watch and wait soberly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation." See, so within this watching, we're told, don't be sleeping while you wait. Be alert, be awake, be on guard. Put on the armor of God and be sober. Be clear-minded, clear-headed. Romans 13, Paul would speak to the same idea. In verses 11 through 14, when he says, And do this knowing the time that, our, that it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You see that call again to, to wake up out of sleep, to put off the works of darkness, that the day is far spent, or the night is far spent, the day is at hand. The sun is about to arise, and just as sure as you are that it's coming and you're watching for it, watch for that day of the Lord. Watch for that promise of God. Watch for God to work in that situation and be ready for it. Because a watchman who's distracted is of no good, of no use. Don't leave your post 
Be watching for what the Lord is going to do and is even doing in the midst of your waiting. Because I would say that far too often, there is evidence God is working, but we're too distracted to notice it. Are we being watchful, alert, aware, so that we see the evidence that he's working, and even if it hasn't fully come to completion, we have promises we can hold on to, that he who begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. If we're going to wait well biblically, we're going to be watchful in our waiting. Are you allowing the distractions and pleasures of this world to hinder you from watching soberly? Where we should be on a straight and narrow path as we pursue Christ, has our moral drunkenness caused us to swerve and veer off course? It's high time to wake up and to sober up, to put off all the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light, to behave in a proper way that shows that you're expecting God to return soon. And so your behavior, your words, your actions, the things you're allowing to consume your time are things you would not be embarrassed about doing and thinking and spending time in if Christ was to appear in that moment. Because salvation, as Paul says in Romans, is nearer than when we first believed. If you've been following the Lord for 20 years, you are 20 years closer to the fulfillment of that salvation. We're entering a new year, and guess what? We are one year closer to that salvation. Now, I'm not saying that you work your way to salvation. You are saved if you've given your life to Jesus. You are sealed by His Holy Spirit. But this side of heaven, we aren't experiencing the fullness of that salvation, where we get to see Him face to face and be in His presence. But we look forward to that day, and we wait watchfully for it, knowing that each and every day we get up, we are one day closer to heaven. The second way we are told to wait biblically is that we are to wait patiently. It's a word I've had to uh, increase in my vocabulary 100-fold as I've had children, right? To, to wait patiently, and it immediately takes me back to when I was a child because I remember the verses I had to write out 10 times because I couldn't wait patiently, and I had to be reminded to wait patiently. Patience is one of those things we pray for, but we don't really want what's necessary to get it, right? We pray, Lord, give me patience, and we're hoping that we're just going to wake up and magically be a very patient person. Wow, I'm not losing my cool. I'm fine with waiting however long it takes. That was great. And the reality is when you pray for patience, buckle up, because what's coming is a bunch of situations that you're going to be tested in your patience as a friend of mine says, you're going to get your reps in on patience. But we're told again and again in Scripture that the way as believers our waiting should be marked is by patiently waiting. Psalm 37, 7 through 9 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. 
Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, what I love is that Psalm 37 here, it gives us a clear indication of what it looks like to wait patiently by what it prohibits, by what it tells you to stop doing when you're waiting patiently. Patiently waiting looks like waiting without getting angry. Patiently waiting looks like waiting without blowing up or lashing out. Patiently waiting looks like waiting without worrying or being anxious. And we're also given a warning of what comes of waiting when you are not patient. It only causes harm. That's the fruit of when we wait and we worry, or we wait and we get angry and we lash out and we blow up. It only causes harm. It doesn't speed up that process of waiting any, but it ruins the moment we're currently in, in this process of waiting. And there are a few things in life that will expose our anger, our anxiety, our frustration, our desire for control more than having to wait. And I think many people have learned to pacify that anger and that anxiety by simply distracting themselves. Why do I think this? Because I know what happens when I get in a line anywhere. Everybody whips out their phone. And it doesn't matter if it's Angry Birds or Candy Crush or you're just scrolling on social media. It's anything so that I don't just have to sit here and wait. So I will entertain myself and distract myself up until the very moment that it's my turn to order or to move up in line to the queue. We really wrestle with waiting patiently. I'm not a big fan of resolutions because most of them last two weeks, but I am a big fan of a big fan. I'm a big fan of reflecting on the year and recognizing areas that there does need to be growth in your life. I would challenge you to look at the last year and ask yourself honestly, how have I been in my waiting? Am I a patient waiter? Or do I see areas where I blow up, I get angry, I try and take matters into my own hands, or I'm worrying and I'm anxious and I'm doubting God's promises? What if this next year you made it a goal to say, Lord, I know it's a dangerous prayer, but I'm praying that you would help me learn how to grow in my waiting. Because waiting is a part of life. You are going to go from one season of waiting to another. You're not going to escape it. And instead of hoping that you can just speed up the process of waiting, a far better plan is to say, how can I grow in my waiting? How can I be a more patient waiter? Can you think of situations in your own life where your inability to wait patiently only caused harm in the situation and did damage to a relationship? I know I can in mine. Moments when I should have stood still, when I shouldn't have said that thing, when I should have taken a deep breath and gone for a walk and yet allowed anger to arise or worry and anxiety to 
to creep in, to cause me to doubt and question the Lord. You know, time and time again, what we see in Scripture is that one person who uses the word wait often is David. He's also a man who we see wrestle a lot with the Lord in these moments of wondering, God, when are you going to move? When are you going to act? Why are the wicked prospering? Why is your servant struggling? He understood well that wrestle we have when we wait. And yet, as he chose to take time to wait on the Lord and to look to him for his hope, his strength, his salvation, you see this process in the Psalms where he comes back around to just worshiping the Lord because he's in control and trusting in God's timing and God's hand. But it comes through patiently waiting. James 5 gives us an illustration of what this patient waiting is like. It says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So James gives us an illustration that anybody then and now can understand. He takes us out to the field. And he speaks of, of growing fruit trees and waiting for the fruit that comes. And that farmer that has to patiently wait, he can't speed up that process. And yet what I love about this illustration is that it perfectly speaks to that working that goes on while we wait. That there are things that are within the control of the farmer and there are things he has no control over. And while he waits for the fruit, there's a process of what he's done. He's tilled the soil, and he's, he's removed the rocks and the weeds, and he's planted the seed. But then there are things that are absolutely outside of his control, like here as he patiently waits for the rains to come. He can't force them. He can't hurry them along. They're going to come when they're going to come, and he just needs to do his part to be ready and then to wait patiently for them to come. And then even as they come, there's a waiting process where he has to trust there is a work being done underground beneath the surface he can't see, where roots are beginning to form and spread and nutrition is going into that seed. And there's a whole process that's taken place before he ever sees any evidence of it sprouting above the surface. And I wonder how many of us need that reminder today, that illustration of the farmer, because you've been waiting for something for a long, long time. And you've put in the work, and you've done what you can on your end, and yet you feel like I still don't see any evidence that anything is happening. What does James tell us to do? Establish your hearts and wait patiently for that reward of that fruit. To not grow weary when you're doing good, as Paul would say in Galatians. Knowing that in due season you will reap the reward if you do not lose heart. It can be so easy when you have worked for so long at something and waited so patiently and you still see no progress. Maybe it's praying for a lost loved one. 
that you so desperately want to see come to Christ, and you have prayed faithfully for years, and you have shared at every opportunity you've had, and you don't see an ounce of change in them. You don't see a, a bit of softness in their heart or openness to it. Don't grow weary. Don't stop praying. You have no idea as you plant those seeds and as you do what you can to toil that soil of their heart, the work that God might be doing, the roots that might begin to take hold there, and the day that the Lord, like a living water, might flood and rain upon them. And in a moment, all those years of prayer where you saw nothing in a moment, you could see the full fruit of that. Maybe it's breakthrough in your life with an addiction or a struggle. Maybe it's brokenness in a relationship you want to see restored. Maybe it's a godly discipline you've been trying to establish. Whatever it may be, the encouragement we receive from Scripture is that God is working. And we need to establish our hearts that He is in control of that situation and He hears your prayers and He sees the work you're putting in. Control what you can and trust God with what you can't. Because there are areas when we try and take control of them, as we already looked at, you're only going to cause harm. We look at Abraham as a great example of waiting, but let's not forget the moment he tried to take matters into his own hands. When he thought, I've waited long enough. And so they put together a plan. If God promised us a son and we're seeming like we're getting a little too old, let's put together a plan to produce this son for God because we've waited long enough. And when they should have waited for Isaac, they produce an Ishmael. And a lot of harm comes from the situation. Maybe you're in a, a season of singleness and you so desperately want to be married. There's a danger when you grow weary of waiting and you say, instead of waiting for the right one, I'll settle for the, the easiest or the closest or the fastest option before me. There's a lot of damage that can be done in that situation. Wait on the Lord. Trust in His timing. Establish your hearts. And even when you don't see any evidence, keep working and keep waiting because there are roots you can't see. And there's a work God does beneath the surface far before we ever see the fruit of it. The third way that we're told to wait within Scripture is to wait faithfully. To wait faithfully. Psalms 27.14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's repeated because we need to hear it again. Psalms 37.34 says, Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. One of the most difficult parts of waiting faithfully is when the lies begin to creep in. The lies that you're waiting is meaningless, that it's a waste of your time, 
that it's punishment for mistakes you've made, that God doesn't care or God hasn't heard your prayers. And these lies that may begin as a soft whisper can begin to increase in your life and become just this screaming voice that is telling you to give up, to stop waiting, to doubt God. But one of the keys to waiting faithfully is to not get so consumed with the end of our waiting, the result of that waiting, but rather to be present to how Psalms tells us here in 37 to keep His way while we wait, to be faithful here and now in this moment while we wait. What I found is often God is doing a far greater work in my waiting than in the conclusion to my waiting ever brings. And we think, how can I speed up this process? How can I just get to the conclusion because then everything will be fine? the work that He's really doing in refining you and establishing your heart and increasing your faith and in moving in a way that brings Him glory, that all happens in the waiting. How are you being faithful to wait and to do the work you can and to walk in His way and to keep His way? Because there's an inward refining transforming and renewing, a pruning that takes place that never would have happened if there wasn't a waiting season. We tend to believe the lie that if we just had everything at a moment's notice, life would be so much better. And I'm sure many of you could testify in here this morning of times when you waited and you saw God do such an incredible work in the waiting that was far better than anything you were waiting for. Or times when you waited and God did something completely differently than what you expected and you were so glad you waited on Him and didn't try and take matters into your own hands because He had things far better in store for you. Because He's the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask. But there's a test of your faith in that moment when you have to wait. Are you going to trust and believe that and faithfully wait when it looks like this would be a really easy option and it seems like that's what God would do and you're questioning why? Why are you not? Are you willing to faithfully wait, to trust in the Lord that maybe there's something better? Maybe He's doing something other than what you thought? Are you willing to walk out Proverbs 16, 9, that as a man's heart plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps? Are you waiting for the Lord to direct those steps? Or are you so set in your 15, 20, 30-year plan that there's no room for God to work in it, and you're certainly not willing to wait around for Him to do something because you've got a time schedule to keep? No, the call in Scripture we're given is to wait and to wait faithfully in this moment, right here and right now, with what we can control and what He has called us to do. Are you waiting for a spouse? Be faithful to work on growing to be the best spouse you can be while you wait. Are you waiting for a, a new big way to be used by God this next year? Are you being faithful with the little ways He's called you 
to serve Him today, here and now? Are you waiting for your next job promotion or a move to a new house or a new location or a life change? How are you seeking to grow in excellence and honor the Lord in your current job? How are you seeking to host well and steward well the home and the location you live in now? Much of life is waiting, and if you believe the lie that life will start after your waiting is over, you'll be missing out on all of life. Be faithful today with where you are, with what you have, with how you can grow, because that's all you're guaranteed. And I've heard people say it, I've been guilty of saying it myself, that I will do this once the Lord answers this prayer. Oh, once the Lord provides the home, then I'm going to host a home group. Once the Lord provides the funds, then I'm going to be generous. Once the Lord provides the opportunity that I'm looking for, then I'm going to serve Him. How are you being faithful today with what He's given you? Some of you have been given much. Some of you have been given little but he's called you to be a good steward over what you have. And as you wait for more, and maybe you pray for more, I would ask, but how are you being faithful with the little you have today? Charles Spurgeon said this, that if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. The fourth way that Scripture calls us to wait is to wait silently. And this is an interesting one because if you go home and do some homework, you're going to be amazed at how many times you'll see not just in the Psalms, Isaiah, Lamentations, again and again they call this waiting silently upon the Lord. But what does it mean to wait silently? Well, to wait silently is the opposite of trying to control things and Make things happen in your own strength. It could be that figurative language. It's not literal. But also, literally, there are times we are called to be silent and still before the Lord. That in our waiting, instead of grumbling and complaining, trying to change our situation, we would wait silently and trust that even when things are bad, there is a good God who's in control and has a good plan. Psalm 62.5 says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. Lamentations 3.25-26 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Have you ever found yourself struggling with remaining quiet and silent while you wait? Now, I was impressed. You guys did pretty well when I went into the back. I was curious to hear how much rumbling began to stir in here, and I'm sure 
The longer you waited, the louder it would have gotten. I know it's true of me as well as it is for my kids, and I like to think I'm much further along in this waiting process, and yet the reality is we all fall into the same thing. We can wait quietly for a few moments, a few weeks, but then when the weeks become months, there's a slow little grumble when we pray. There's a little frustration that arises and a complaint that comes out. Yeah, still praying for that thing. Still waiting for God to answer that one. You thought he would have done it by now. Not really sure what's going on. And, and these frustrations begin to arise. And you notice the longer you have to wait, the louder you tend to get about it. Silence can be uncomfortable, especially in a world where we've grown accustomed to always having some kind of background noise. It's the radio in the car, it's the music on your run, it's the conversations at work. There's, there's just never a moment, a movie in a background. We always like to have noise around us because silence can be uncomfortable, especially a long period of silently waiting. Things begin to bubble up, anxieties and fears, frustrations, past hurts, things that we feel much more comfortable shoving down and distracting ourselves with noise so we don't have to deal with them. But time and time again, Scripture doesn't give us that allowance. It, it calls us to wait silently on the Lord, to hold our peace and the benefit of silently waiting before God is that we can hear Him speak with that still, small voice. The benefit of waiting silently before God is that we're actively submitting to the fact that we don't have the answers or call the shots and are sitting before the one who does. to actively choose to say, you know what, I'm going to sit here quietly because, God, there's a lot I want to say and a lot of plans I want to bring before you and ideas I have, but you see more and you know better. And I'd be a fool to think that I have a plan that's better than your own, so I'm going to, in faith, sit in silence and demonstrate that I really believe that. You're God in heaven and here am I on earth, so I'll let my words be few. I'm going to trust in your words and your ways and your plan. And the act of obedience often looks like silence. Because as James calls us to, we want to be people who are slow to speak but quick to listen. You've got one mouth but two ears. And your time with the Lord is... There are more time spent trying to tell him all the ways you think things should go and all the, the plans you have and how he can get along with your plans? Or is it time spent listening, reading his word? Because you've also got two eyes. How are you listening for the Lord and waiting silently for him to speak? 
You know what I see often happening is that we'll, we'll spend a short season waiting for God to speak, and then as we begin to grow weary of waiting, we just look for someone else to speak. <laughs> Who's someone who waited longer and heard an answer that I like, and I'll just kind of, I'll take that. What are the majority of people saying? I'll just, I'll go with that because I haven't heard anything yet from the Lord. Now, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I'm not, I'm not doing away with that reality. But I think in our waiting, we are far too easily willing to stop the silent waiting and look for answers somewhere else when we don't hear an answer. when we wait in silence and are ready to hear and are actively listening and studying His Word, what we are doing is cutting off anything that might rob our attention or steal the glory from Him. When God does an incredible work that we got to be a part of, I hope that at the end of the day we can testify that only happened because of God, because He provided the answers, He provided the solution, and He worked. And not, I read this really great book by this guy who had a great plan giving credit to someone else. What if the next time you wait, you didn't vent all your frustration and waiting, but you sat in silence and submission to the Lord? What if you didn't air out your struggles to anyone and everyone in hopes that they might hear and help fix your problem, but instead you said, I'm just going to take this to the Lord. No one else needs to know about it. I can bring it to the Lord knowing He's in control, and if He wants to use someone else, He doesn't need me to make them aware of it. He can show them, He can tell them, and He can provide for my needs. I can think of moments in my own life that my wife and I determined to go before the Lord and Him alone, where we needed provision for a debt, where we needed provision of transportation or where we need the Lord to bring a solution to a problem. And there's such an incredible thing when you know you didn't tell a soul and you waited upon the Lord, and yet here comes the answer. And a person comes up saying, hey, I don't know why I felt called to, to give this to you or to ask if you needed help in this area or this. And it's like, wow, Lord, you heard my prayer. And you moved on my behalf. And it didn't come because... I was the squeaky wheel that got the oil to 20 different people that I thought could provide for my problems. It, it happened because I looked to the source, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, the God who sees, El Roy. We're told to wait silently. And the fifth and final way we're going to look at this morning is that biblically we're told to wait hopefully. To wait hopefully. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. See, there's a watching that looks for evidence, but then there's this hopeful waiting that expects to see it. That as Romans says here, even when we don't see it, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance that we're still on the edge of our seat expecting it at any moment. Is that the way that we're waiting this morning? Galatians 5.5 5 says, 
For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And that's an important distinction there we need to make, that you don't just muster up the strength and work harder to do it on your own, that this is a work that the Spirit does through us. If you want to wait well and you want to grow in all these areas of waiting in a way that honors the Lord and allows you to be refined, you better be dependent on the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is patience. So if you're trying to work out in your flesh some kind of patience and and watchfulness and faithfulness in your waiting, you're going to be let down and frustrated again and again. But if you allow the Spirit to work in you and work through you, there can be fruit produced, a greater patience, a greater eagerness, a greater hope and endurance as you look for what you do not yet see. Titus 2, 11 through 13 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To wait, hopefully, is to wait with great expectation. It's like your kids when they're waiting for Christmas and they know it's coming and every morning when they wake up, they're thinking, is it here yet? Is it here yet? How many more sleeps? How many more naps? How many more days? Because I know it's coming and it's coming soon and I am eagerly waiting for it. It's to wait without doubting and without distraction because we know what's going to happen and we know that we don't want to miss it when it does. We're longing for that day. It's the cry of God's people, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. We so long to see you. We so long to be free from the the sin of this world, the pain and the suffering. We eagerly wait for that day. We're hopeful and expectant of it. Church, Do you know that you know that you're going to be with God soon? And that each and every day you wake up, you're one step closer? Does that consume your thoughts throughout the day? Is it constantly coming up in your prayers and conversations? That hopeful expectation as you wait on the Lord. Not just in our going to be with Him, but in the daily things that you wait for His provision and His action in. Is there a hopeful waiting there that's excited to see what God does and how God shows up? And even if you don't know how or when, man, it's going to be good and you can't wait to give Him glory for it. You can't wait to tell people the things that God does in this situation and the ways you see Him work and how good it's going to be for you while you wait Is that the way that our waiting is marked? Because that kind of waiting isn't waste. A waiting on the Lord that's marked by that hopeful expectation, it's a great investment of your time. It's a great work in your heart.
and on your spirit. It says, I'm not going to allow time to wear me down. I'm not going to allow distractions to pass the time. I am hopeful. I am expectant. And I'm excited to see what God does. That's only a work that can be produced as you allow His Spirit to work in you, as you sit in His presence and allow Him to refine you. But it's a work that is redeemed, a waiting that is worth it, and a process that I promise you will be far better than even the result of that thing, what He does in you through that process. And a verse that every one of us should be writing down and remembering. It's a verse that you should hold on to in a season of waiting. It's in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. I want that to be the words on my lips the day I get to go to be with the Lord, that this is our God, and we waited for Him. He was worth the wait. He was worth counting the cost for. He was worth enduring the struggle and denying the, the sad substitutes for what we could get right now he was worth going through that long, hard, patient process of watching for Him and longing for Him and expecting Him to show up in that situation. Because that's the promise every one of us can hold on to in Christ Jesus, that the waiting will be worth it and that one day you're going to get to say, man, this is our God. This is who I was waiting for the God of my salvation, the one that rights every wrong, the Savior of my soul. We're in a moment where we look back on a year and we look forward to another ahead of us. And we sit in the tension right now of the end of this year, about to enter the beginning of the next one, but it's also the tension we sit in as a Christian that has the salvation of our souls paid for we're sealed and we're covered, and yet we, we long for the day that we get to experience the full reality of that. We're in the, the middle, the in-between. And I want to encourage you to allow the Lord to show you as you wait the ways that you need to grow this next year because the waiting's not going away. There's work for you to do. But how might God want to grow your waiting this year? in the little things day to day, but ultimately as we wait to be with Him one day together. And as I invite Lindsay to come back up as we prepare to sing and worship through song to close our service this morning, I want to give an invitation to anybody who doesn't know the Lord this morning. There's a text we didn't have time to look at this morning. In Matthew 25, it's a parable that Jesus gives of these ten virgins that are waiting for this bridegroom to come. And in the text, he says there were five foolish and five wise. And the five were wise because they had their lamps ready with oil to spare for when the bridegroom came. 
And the other five that were not wise, they didn't have that extra oil. They, didn't, they weren't ready for that moment. And so when he came at a time they weren't expecting, the five wise had oil and they could light their lamps and go and meet the bridegroom. The five that were foolish said, give us some of yours. And they said, well, if we give you some of ours, we might not have enough. You need to go and buy some. And so they run to buy some, but as they return, they're too late. And they're knocking on the door saying, let us in. The bridegroom says, I don't know you. And then there's this call at the end of it that that we are to learn from this parable. And so we are to watch and be ready for the coming of the Lord. Because it comes at a day we don't expect. And in Scripture, oil is meant to represent the Holy Spirit. And if you this morning have not repented of your sins and turned to Jesus for your salvation, the reality is you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. No question about it. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you today, no matter how you might feel, you're not ready for the Lord to return. You can come to church. You can look ready just like five of those virgins did with the other five. But one day, when we go to be with him, there's going to be no denying whose are his and whose are not. Even as he returns one day, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. There's going to be no question of whose are his, sealed by his Holy Spirit, and who are not his. And even those who may say, I did things in the name of God, and I went to the place that Christians were, and I was in a Christian family my whole life, There'll be those who can say all those things and they'll be true and yet they'll stand before God and he'll say, but I never knew you. You never knew me. We never had a relationship. And so everything that we just looked at, all the the hopeful expectation we have as we wait is meaningless for the person that isn't sealed by his Holy Spirit. But this morning, the, the, the free gift that is extended to you is that because of the work of Jesus on the cross for our sins, there's an opportunity for you to be saved even today, this very moment. That if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Past, present, and future sins where your sin abounds, his grace abounds so much more. And in a moment, if you are willing to confess before him your sins and your need for him to save you, he'll renew your mind. He'll give you a new heart and he'll put his spirit within you, that oil that those virgins had, and then you will be ready for his return. You can hopefully look for that day watchfully because it's going to be a good day for you, a day where you're caught up into the clouds with him or a day when you breathe your last breath here and you are absent from this body, but you are present with the Lord. But it's not something that happens by default. All roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so this morning, I want to ask, is there anybody here who is not confess their sins to the Lord and repented of them and turned 
to Jesus for salvation because now is the moment for you to make that decision. You need to choose this day whom you're going to serve. And if you want to make that decision, all I'm going to ask is that you raise your hand or you stand up where you're at so we can join with you and pray for the Lord and welcome you into the family of God. Is there anybody this morning that needs to make that decision? This morning, as we move into a time of responding to the Lord's word, worshiping together through song, I want to also invite you. If you need prayer for anything, there's going to be people available at the front of the room, in the back upstairs, people who would love to pray for you. And maybe you're in a waiting season and you haven't waited well. But this morning, the Lord wants to correct that. And the first act of obedience, maybe it's just coming up and getting prayer from someone. You know, Scripture talks about when we confess to one another, there's healing. And maybe this morning, you just need to, as an act of obedience to what the Spirit's doing in your heart right now, say, I'm going to go up and I'm going to get prayer because I know I haven't waited well, but I want to. And I want to confess that before the Lord. And I want him to renew my mind. I want to establish my heart that as I move forward this next year, I'm going to wait more patiently. I'm going to wait more silently. I'm going to wait more watchfully. I'm going to wait more hopefully. I'm going to wait more faithfully. We would love to pray with you for whatever it may be. And as we close in worship, let's sing and celebrate that reality that our, our waiting is not in vain. That there's a work we can do and a work that God is doing in the midst of that waiting that is profound and transformative and we don't want to miss it. And so let's be people that worship and celebrate that he's a God who works in our waiting. He's a God that sees us while we wait and speaks to us while we listen and is working out things far better than we could do on our own for his glory and our good. Let's worship together this morning.